you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Joel Lilovich. And I'm Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our outsourcing guide. If you are interested in finding out the different ways that you can outsource some of the parts of your life that you wish someone else was doing, then check out our guide and you can find it at thejuggle.com.au forward slash outsource. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know by now that we have a Facebook group called The Juggle Community where our listeners connect and talk all things juggle. If you're not in the community yet, come and join us and the link will be in the show notes and you can also get there via our website. One of the questions that we ask people when they join is what challenges they face with the juggle and the overwhelming response relates to time. Not enough time, feeling guilty about how we're spending our time, time goes too fast, etc, etc. We have spoken about time management on the podcast before and that episode with Laura Vanderkam, which is episode 15, is one of our most downloaded episodes. So we thought that it would be good to have some more time management tips. So today we're joined by Kate Christie. Kate is the founder and CEO of Time Stylers, an international speaker and best-selling author. She empowers high-performing individuals like all of us and teams with the mindset, skills and strategies to find and harness hours of lost time. Kate's developed a five-step process to help busy people find more time and get back some of their lost time. She's going to share a summary of this process with us. And of course, you can read the whole thing in her book, as well as work through some exercises. And the book is called Me Time, The Professional Women's Guide to Finding 30 Guilt-Free Hours a Month. Who wouldn't want that? Kate has also recently published a time management book for business owners, which is Smart Time Investment for Business. And that book provides proven, practical, short and sharp time investment strategies to help you power up your productivity. Before we get into the interview, as you've already heard, one of the things that often happens when you want to save time is that you outsource some of your roles, whether it's to a cleaner or childcare or something along those lines. And one of the impediments to doing that is sometimes money. So today, we've actually got our financial planner along to give us some tips around how we can make this happen. This month, all of our episodes have a special segment sponsored by MLC Advice Canberra. During the month, we'll be joined by financial planner Michael Miller, who will answer your questions about all things finance. Michael is a certified financial planner. He owns and runs his practice based in Canberra, but works with clients based around the country and across the globe. He's been practicing for 14 years and claims a family predisposition to all things numbers. In a very nice little story, his nan actually indexed his 21st birthday present to the consumer price index to make sure that it was equal across all of her grandchildren. I think that's awesome. Go nan. (laughs) So thanks for joining us, Michael. Uh, Very nice to join you. This week, we're talking about finance, particularly in relation to outsourcing, because we thought that would tie in nicely with our interview with today's guest, which is about organizing time. So we have all had the phrase that we can't have it all or do it all. And we're often told that, um, in fact, we think that if we want to feel like we're doing it all, we should use some support. Some common types of support that we use are things like childcare and cleaning, but that usually means that we have to pay someone for the service. So how can we assess whether we have the money to be able to spend on what some people might consider luxuries or others like me consider 
necessities because I don't really feel like living in an unclean house. <laughs> I think certainly uh, having a budget in place really helps with that to identify what your priorities are, uh, so where you're going to spend your money for the support you need. Budgeting can be such a dirty word. How do you get that across the line when you're talking to your clients? You're right. You see the, the colour drop from their face yeah. when you uh, <laughs> me- mention budgeting. I think certainly what, one of the things that I always stress is it doesn't need to be a perfect tool. Just starting to get some indication of where you are is always very useful. People sometimes have asked me what app is the best for, for budgeting. You know, people are very technologically savvy these days. And I often actually say that you know, my favourite budgeting app is Microsoft Excel. Ah. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is a lot of people actually have some sort of system in place already and, and they sit there and say, oh, look, I'm so embarrassed and this isn't perfect. And, and you just think, no, actually, the system that you've got in place that works for you that's the best one. That's the system. Mm. Yeah. So if someone doesn't have any sort of system in place and they're really starting from the beginning, is there something that beginners should know? Yeah. I really like um, ASIC through their Money Smart. That's their sort of financial education yes. program. They put together a budget planner that I really like. Uh, you can go to their website uh, and there's an online version or there is a, an Excel spreadsheet you can download. Uh, I think we can put a link to that in the the show notes. Mm. Um, What I like about their template is it's not too long, but it does have a good list of different expenses. If somebody will sit there and run through their list and put either actual expenses, if if you can look them up, or have a reasonable estimate of what it might be, by the time you get to the end of that list, which is not too long, there's unlikely to be much that you've actually missed And they do also, for people who are looking for a solution that works in terms of technology, they have an app version of that called Track My Spend where you can sort of have it on a smartphone and that also has some extra features like you can set reminders for when bills are due to be paid and and things like that. If we haven't budgeted before, do we start from scratch by preparing a budget or should we track our spending and look back and see where, where our money goes or are they completely different? The key for that is where you're at to now because I'm, I'm very conscious that all of what we talk about is people preparing for the birth of a child and parental leave and things like that. I'm always a big fan of actually, as you sort of said, look at what you have spent to get an idea for what you will spend because you know, we can actually look at what's happened there. The only thing you have to be aware of in the context of if you're doing that just before you start unpaid parental leave you know, with a new baby, what you did over the last three months or 12 months, uh, it may be quite different for what's going to happen over the next three or the next 12 months. So you just need to take those sorts of things into account. Mm, think about the fact that your income is going to be dropping and that you're going to have baby expenses that you've not experienced before. Yeah, that's right. There's going to be new things that you buy that you, particularly obviously if it's first baby, that you never bought before, or even if it's sort of second or third child you might have a bit more experience of what changed last time around but toddlers have different needs from babies and kids in school have different needs from babies so yes that will change oh thank you so much i think what i'm taking away from that is that budgeting is not a dirty word and that <laughs> if we can do this properly and properly you know track income and our spending then we are going to be able to find money there somewhere so we can outsource something 
that's the keys. It's about what you want to do. It's not about what you don't want to do. It's about, well, how do I make, you know, have this set up so that, yes, if the cleaning is something that I have to outsource, this is how I make it happen. It's important for you to know that the contents of these sessions are advice of a general nature only, which may not be right for you. Michael would love to talk to you more about helping with advice specifically designed for your personal circumstances. So make sure to get in touch and book a phone call or virtual appointment for this. Get in touch with Michael at www.michaelmiller.help. Michael Miller is an authorised representative of GWM Advisor Services, holder of Australian Financial Services Licence Number 230692. And now over to the interview. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Joanne and Lucy and little Harry. Yes, thank you. Hopefully he's happy while we're doing the recording, but we'll see. (laughs) So, Kate, both Joe and I have recently read your book, Me Time, which is Me Time, the Professional Women's Guide to Finding 30 Guilt-Free Hours a Month. And before I'd even got into the actual book, it was the introduction, I knew that you needed to come and talk to us about your book on the podcast. And the reason for that is because straight up you talk about the difference between having it all and doing it all. And that's something that we talk about quite often on this show and something that we particularly like to remind people of. Yeah, look, it's absolutely critical. And I think that I was very guilty of that need to have it all syndrome prior to having kids and something has to give ultimately you can't actually do it all and firstly I guess my thinking around it because I spent a lot of time thinking about it was that Mm. I didn't need to have it all was the first thing that I sort of decided on it was really I should just be chasing after the bits that were absolutely critical to me and the rest it's white noise and you have to filter that and then the second thing was that in chasing after those bits which were really important to me it was really critical to recognize and acknowledge that I didn't have to do it all myself you know you can actually expect help you can pay for help you can ask for help you can make sure the people around you that you live with are helping so i guess they're two very critical mind shift changes that you need to make well, I needed to make. <laughs> and I think a lot of us need to make or are perhaps in the process of making too. You're definitely not alone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we, as sort of very strong women with strong role models, we grew up with an expectation or with, I guess, a belief system that you can have it all and you can do everything you want and don't let anything stop you and you're as good as the blokes out there and you go get what you want and, and chase it all down. And, and I think all of that is absolutely true. However, it's also around knowing that having it all and doing it all doesn't actually form part of that equation. So these thoughts and feelings that you were experiencing, this is what led to you writing the book Me Time? In part, yes. I guess my own journey was partly behind it in as much as I was working in corporate I had a really high-powered, very pressured job, working incredibly long hours, but loving it all and loving what I was doing. And then I had three babies in three and a half years, and um, which was entirely my own fault. Yeah, I read that and I was, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh-huh. No twins in there. So it was kind of like you didn't get the accolade of having twins, but you had all the pressure. Mm. Um, and... I, I think that I, I ultimately opted out of working in corporate because I just felt like I wasn't doing it particularly well. 
I wasn't doing anything particularly well. Mm. I wasn't being the mum I wanted to be, the partner I wanted to be, the corporate woman I wanted to be. And I felt like I was pretty much half-assed at everything. And wasn't a good feeling. I didn't feel particularly happy and I felt a lot of guilt and I felt like I was letting people down. And I guess I'd backed myself into this corner where I thought, well, I have to choose between my great brilliant career or my great brilliant motherhood. And, and so I chose to opt out and and to be a mum. And, you know, that lasted for sort of three and a half minutes and I was, you know, bored, (laughs) bored crazy. Um, so I started my first business, which was, I still have it. I just have someone else running it for me. It's a business called Babysitters and More. And it was basically an online portal to connect busy people like me in that stage that I was in with home help, because it was that acknowledgement that you, you can't actually do it all. You can actually ask for help. And from that business, I guess I then met a lot of women just like me predominantly women. There were some guys there, but predominantly the client base or the people coming and looking for a nanny or a babysitter or a housekeeper or a cleaner were women and they were just like me. And I'd sort of tapped into this sort of rich vein of women who were really struggling with the juggle. And the conversations I had with these women, because in that environment where someone's say looking for a nanny or looking for a babysitter, people let their guard down very quickly and you form a very close relationship of trust very quickly because they're telling you about their, their home life and their children and their maybe special needs and or special dietary requirements and there's no gloss on any of that. Yeah, it's warts and all. And so you, you establish a very quick relationship of trust with your clients and so our conversation was, would extend well beyond that around how are you managing the juggle and how flexible is it at your workplace? And the conversations, and I, I was just, you know, it was out of curiosity. It was about relationship building. But ultimately what I realised was that these women in particular, and there were some guys, but women in particular were coming to me for this, the help of home help, but the conversations all were the same in terms of how do you do it all? How do you manage it? Do you have any strategies? And by that stage I did, and I had a heap of strategies. And so I would say, well, try this, you know, do ABC or try XYZ. And then they'd come back to me and say, oh my God, you've changed my life. Why didn't I think of this myself? It's so simple. And, and I'd say, well, you just don't have the headspace. You don't have the room all the time to actually give thought to this, whereas I do. And then that's why I wrote the book because I was getting having the same conversations, thinking, look, there's a lot of women out there who actually could do with this message. And when you're in that place as well and you're busy, it's easier to just keep doing what you're doing than it is to stop and try and come up with something brand new. So luckily, like you say, you've done that for us so we don't have to find the headspace. (laughs) And you've used the acronym SMART, S-M-A-R-T, for your five-step framework that helps people to reorganize their time. We're going to ask you to talk us through those five steps. But before we do that, I just wanted to point out something that I really liked about your book. And I want to make sure we tell people so they know that they can go and do this. And that is that you include exercises throughout the book. And there's lots of them that help people to unpack their own time management and the way they're using their own time and help them to reorganize it using your framework, which is great because it's really practical. And in addition to that, you also have a case study and she's filled out all the exercises. So you haven't just given us the exercises. You've said, here they are, and this is how you use them. And people will be able to identify parts of themselves probably in Alice as well. 
Yeah, look, very much so. It's a workbook. It's not a novel so much. It's educational, but it's also, you know, you have to do some heavy lifting. If you want to change your time habits, you have to invest time to change those. So it's very practical. There's loads of exercises. And then there's Alice who, if I had a dollar for every woman who's read the book and came and said to me, oh my God, I'm Alice. (laughs) I feel like you had a video camera on me. I feel like you've watched me at my house. And the fact of the matter is that we're all that poor woman who is struggling with the juggle and pulling her hair out and doing it in such a way where she's trying to kind of keep up this sort of facade or this sort of makeup or this gloss of of really handling it so well. So the first part of your acronym, the letter S, is for, for being self-aware. And it's, it's interesting because Lucy and I have our own little acronym for the juggle. And our first one is J for joy. And it's all around the idea that you have to work out what's most important to you. And I have a, a sense as I was reading the book that self-aware is very much that same idea. So can you tell us what do you mean in the book about being self-aware? So it's twofold. Self-aware, firstly, it's being aware of what is actually challenging you in terms of how you're using your time. So it's about having a really deep dive into, okay, you know, I I say I'm stressed or I say that I don't have enough time or I say that I need to improve my time management, but what does that actually mean? So there's some exercises there that help you dig down what is actually really causing you pain. And it may be I just have too many meetings or I have way too many emails or I have too many priorities that I'm trying to juggle. So it's about tapping in so we know exactly what we're solving for. And then the other side of self-aware is understanding your core beliefs and values. What actually floats your boat? When I say core values, I don't mean sort of the vanilla values of integrity and honesty. honesty, And, you know, we all have those, or hopefully we all have those. I, I mean the things that drive your decisions and your behaviour every day. Where do you want to be spending your time? So, for example, you know, I've done a lot of work in this space myself, obviously, and I've honed my, my values and my beliefs down to just two things, and it's my kids and my business. And they're the two things that drive my behavior. So if I get an opportunity or there's something somewhere where my kids need me, I'm there 100%. And the same with my business. The rest, that's just white noise. You know, I don't go out. I don't catch up with the girls. I don't go dating. I don't have hobbies. I have my business and my kids at this stage of my life. And that means that I have absolute clarity over what to say yes and what to say no to. Mm. And so it's about really understanding the values in terms of at that level. Mm. One of the exercises I think is really helpful in this chapter is this one where you talk people through working out, helping them to work out what their values are. And I think it's easy to say, oh, what's important to you? What do you value? But less easy sometimes to articulate that. And so the process you use in the book encourages people to think big and think of all of their values and then really refine them down. I think we have to get to 10, don't we? We don't have to go quite down to two like you. Yeah, no, that's right. So, (laughs) you know, look, I've kind of done a lot of work on it just because it's (laughs) the space that I talk about, but it's about giving yourself as much clarity as you can. There's no point in trying to work out where you want to be spending your time in circumstances where you've got sort of 120 values or beliefs. It's, It's just too much. So if you can get it down to 10 or under 10, that's perfect. So M for MAP is basically, you know, one of my best mentors ever. The best advice I ever got from a business or a working perspective was always lead with the data. The data is king. 
So M for MAP comes down to collecting the data. You cannot know what changes you need to make to your time until you know exactly where you're spending your time. So to know where you're spending your time, you need the data. So it's really just about mapping in detail a couple of days of your life. You can just do it on an A4 piece of paper and you just write down the time from the time you get up to the time you go to bed, everything that you do. And every interruption, every phone call, every time you toggle between emails, every time someone asks you if they can have five minutes of your time, every time the baby cries, every time you know you go out to the washing machine, whatever you're doing, you need to map it. Now, it's, I'll warn you in advance, it's phenomenally tedious. No one loves this part of the process, but the data you get is a rich, deep mine of tasks and activities that you don't actually need to be doing that you can, then you've got your day on a plate and you've got the data so that you can say, these are the changes I need to make. And I can see how important it is, especially when we get to the next step, which we will get to next (laughs) Um, because let's talk about a for analyze and you need to have done your mapping and know how you're spending your time in order for this this is everyone's well this is mine and joe's favorite step i'm guessing this might be quite a common favorite step but in order for this to really work you need to know how you're spending your time so tell us about a for analyze so once you've got that data, A for Analyze um, is sort of t- is broken up into two sort of steps. The first is that you look at every activity you've performed in your maps and you categorise them as a must, a want, a reject or something that can be outsourced or delegated. Your musts are the things that you have to do that only you can do. So, you know, I must get up, I must feed the baby if you're breastfeeding, I must get the kids to school or whatever the case may be. Your wants are the things that we're going to see least of on the timesheets at the moment. It's things like go for a walk on my own, have a bit of sleep, have a massage, date night, hang with the kids in a mindful way so that, you know, we're not going to see a lot of that to start with. Your delegates and your rejects is where all of the gold of your lost time is buried. Um, And your rejects are either total rejects so the stuff that nobody needs to do, or partial rejects. So tasks or activities that you do need to do, but you can just be smarter about when and how you do them. And then the delegates or the outsourcing is where you identify everything that you currently do that you're prepared to either pay someone else to do, an expert to do for you, or that you're going to then get your kids to do or your, the people you live with to do. Then the second part of the exercise is that you then cost your habits or you cost your time. So you look at each of the activities you perform and you identify the financial cost, the opportunity cost, the emotional and the physical cost. Um, So there's every time you perform an activity, there's four different cost lenses and one or other of those will resonate really strongly with every different person. There's no right or wrong answer. So let's just take the example of, say, cleaning up after your kids. So if you do that and it sort of takes you, you know, 12 minutes a day to sort of clean up the floor drobe in their bedroom. If only 12 minutes. Yeah, that's right. You then calculate that in terms of, well, what's my time worth and how long am I spending on this and what does that mean to me financially? So a classic example is, is if your time's worth, say, $50 an hour or that's what you chart you cost yourself out it and it takes you an hour to clean the house every day that's $18,250 of your time a year 
you know, is that worth the cost? So that helps you make decisions as to, well, maybe I'm going to get kids to clean their own room, or maybe I'm going to think about paying a cleaner to come in and help because they're an expert, they'll do it faster than me. So it'll only take them, say, three hours to clean instead of four hours to clean. So from an opportunity cost perspective, I've just bought back four hours of my own time that I can then do something I want with that time. And then the other two costs are physical and emotional. So emotional cost is where you feel good or bad about the way you've spent but your time. But the guilt comes in. That's the guilt. That's the Sunday morning, you know, help me clean the house and this isn't a hotel and, you know, I'm not slave. And, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the emotional cost. And then the physical cost is where you do stuff that makes for pain. So if you're running around like an absolute lunatic trying to do everything, be everything for everyone, bits and pieces are going to fall off. You know, you're going to get sick or you're going to get a headache or you're going to hurt your back. And once that happens, the costs to the family are phenomenal because you're kind of the glue at the moment. Yeah, that's so true. And getting back to what I was saying before, uh, (laughs) one of my favourite quotes in the whole book, and I'll let you know here that Lucy is always having a go at me about saying, needing to say no more often. Um, (laughs) And so this, of course, really resonated with me because it's been something that's been on my mind a lot and that I'm trying to be more conscious of. And there's a great quote in the book from Carolyn Questwell of Carmen's Foods. And she talks about if someone asks you for $20, it's really easy to say no. Whereas if someone asks you for five minutes of your time or a coffee date, then it's a lot harder to say no. And your natural inclination is more, how can I fit that in as opposed to just a blanket no. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that sort of whole saying no can be really hard. So there's strategies in there as well in terms of, well, how do you actually say no and do it in a way that you're not going to feel phenomenally guilty or stressed about it? Because, you know, often we're people pleasers. And and I think Lucy sort of alluded to it earlier. If you're doing everything and you're running around, rather than sort of stopping and thinking, how could I do things differently? You tend to just keep doing everything because it's easier. And, and saying no sort of falls into that category. It's a lot of the time it's just easier to say yes. yes. But, you know, every time you say yes to someone else, basically you're saying no to yourself. Mm. Yeah. So once we've analyzed it and we've worked out that there's a whole lot of things that we can just reject out of our lives and say no to, um, a bunch of other things, then you talk about reframing. So what do you mean by that? So reframing is where you actually make the decision as to what you're going to do differently. Unfortunately, we're not all multimillionaires. So we might have identified 10 things we'd like to outsource, but we can't actually afford to outsource all 10. So it's then a process of elimination. What do I hate doing the most that I would like to outsource and pay someone to do? Okay, now I'm going to make the decision on that. It's around making decisions as to exactly what you're going to be doing differently. And then there's tools in the book there's lists of things that you can outsource or insource and do differently. That sort of reframe step is all around making the decisions that, you know, I'm going to do this differently from now on. I like the fact that you point out that we can't always afford to outsource because it's something that Lucy and I are often saying to consider what you can outsource. And we even wrote a guide out for people to consider all the different types of things that they could potentially outsource. But it is the case that it's not always achievable all at once. So for me, the first thing was getting a cleaner. And I think that's a really common first step. Yeah, it is. It's a life changer getting a cleaner. I mean, I love my cleaner. (laughs) I do a lot of speaking and a lot of workshops and people will say, well, you know, I can't afford a cleaner. 
then we can sit down and actually cost it out and say, okay, well, let's look at what it's costing you, say emotionally, opportunity cost. You know, let's look at your income. Let's look at what your expenditure is. Let's look to see what you're spending on. And oftentimes you can actually you know, get to a point where people say, look, I actually can afford this. You know, maybe it's just one less Uber Eats a month, or maybe I just have the cleaner come in two hours a fortnight and just do the really horrible jobs that I hate, you know, so there's often ways around that. Yeah. And so then we take control. How do we do that? Yep, take control. So that's just sort of the implementation step. That's where the rubber hits the road. Everything up until that point is really just a data gathering exercise and splitting the numbers and looking at what it's costing you and so forth. The implementation is the kicker. That's the killer. That's where people will often stumble because it actually requires them to do something. So the analogy I often give people is, well, you know you can jog around the block three times and you can do it in 20 minutes, but a personal trainer is going to make you jog around five times and you have to do a hundred burpees at the end sort of thing. So there will be people and a lot of people who read the book who just say, yep, and they'll do it themselves. There'll be other people who say, no, look, I need to do this with my mates or I need to get to a gang of girls together and we'll keep each other motivated and we'll do this together. Or they may turn to someone like me to coach them and actually make them do it. So it's the implementation step. It's the, like, okay, let's, let's actually do this now. One of the things I think it was really important in that step is reassessing because we've spoken about this already a couple of times that when you're busy, it's easy to just keep doing what you're doing. And so even if you get great at rejecting and delegating, and you say this in the book, there will be things that creep in that you also need to reject and delegate. So it's important to come back to. Yeah. So I guess to your point is it really is important to revisit the framework and the beauty of the framework, the five steps is it is iterative. You can come back to it once every six months or maybe once a year, you know, you do your sort of your annual cleanse of the house or your spring clean. And and it's a great time to also then say, okay, I'm going to revisit this because, you know, everything from your values can change, you know, depending on what stage of your life you're at things will change and you need to just realign those and also check in on the habits. And once you get really good at it, you start to sort of be very intolerant of time wasting. And so it almost becomes sort of quite addictive. You know, how much more time can I find? Yeah, absolutely. I think having been a lawyer, I in some ways struggle with the idea of having to track my time all the time. So, you know, you track it at work and then you have to track it in your personal life. But it is something that I've come around to after sort of letting it slip for a long time I know that my time is slipping and he's getting spent on things that aren't important to me too much time spent getting the kids to clean the house up with me as opposed to just having fun with them although yes it's important for them to clean the house as well but before (laughs) we ask you a couple of questions that we always like to everyone I wanted to ask you about your new book that has come out I know that that book has been specifically written and designed for business owners. Being one myself, I'm actually keen to hear what you have to say. Oh, thank you. Yes, my my most recent book is called Smart Time Investment for Business, 128 Ways the Best in Business Use Their Time. So it's a, a very different book to Me Time, which is Me Time's very much around the framework. This book is really, it's 128 different short, sharp strategies in terms of everything to do with your life and business around how can you 
change habits or do things differently to get time back. So there'll be, you know, a strategy on how to manage your emails, a strategy on how to deal with text messages, a strategy on how to make sure you've got a great business plan in place. Mm. And it's interspersed with case studies and I guess personal anecdotes from some really terrific business people from all around the world. I had the pleasure of meeting some amazing business people and asking them questions and interviewing them. And they're very, very candid, very open. I guess one of the most refreshing things around writing that book was realizing that we're all, you know, pretty crazy and no one has it easy. And some of these people, you know, I interviewed this amazing woman in England. She's the CEO and founder of a, a beauty product called Rodile. And she's, you know, I think she's got 3 million followers on Instagram and she's just unbelievable, this woman. And, you know, to look at her and to read about her business journey, it just looks like a Cinderella story. But she was just so candid in terms of, you know, you've just got to hustle every single day. And anyone who sort of says it's easy is lying to you. And, you know, it's just so refreshing to hear these successful people tell the truth. So yes. What's your favourite tip out of the book? My favourite, and I, look, I've been asked this quite a few times, I, and I don't think I'm consistent at all. I think I've given a different answer every <laughs> you time. You have many favourites. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my current favourite <laughs> is to not multitask. Yeah. You know, on the, on the home front, it's okay, but in a business sense or running your business or working or being in corporate or whatever, um, in a working capacity, multitasking just does not work. It reduces your productivity by 40%, which is equivalent to losing 10 IQ points. So that's probably my favourite at the moment. Now, two questions that we like to finish up with, with all of our guests. And the first is, do you have a mantra? Are there words that you, guiding principle that you live by? I do. I'm true to my craft. It's all around time. So my mantra. I hoped that would be the case. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my mantra is, is this the best use of my time? And I say that to myself all the time. And I make, I say it to my clients and I say it when I'm speaking and, and at events, but I constantly have to ask myself, you you constantly have to remind yourself to ask yourself that because oftentimes, you know, if you, you just fall into the habit of trying to solve for something or, you know, the computer might not be working and, and so I'll spend, you know, an hour and a half trying to fix an IT issue and it's just like, God, what am I doing? I'm a lunatic. Is this the best use of my time? And if I'm not the IT person, then no, it's not. So that's, that's my mantra. I like that a lot. I think I'm very good at doing that at work is asking myself, is this the best use of my time? And if not delegating, but especially after reading your book, not so great at doing that at home. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I fall into the trap like you talk about and like lots of women do. Oh, it doesn't take me very long. It's quick. It's easy if I just do it myself, but is it really the best use of the time? So I really like that. Yeah. And it isn't the best use of your time, particularly on the home front. And and yes, it does take time to kind of train the kids up and get them doing things and having to remind them all the time. But, you know, in, in, at, the, at the end of the day, I'd rather be the mum who reminds as opposed to the mum who does. Yeah. And if there was one piece of advice that you were going to be giving to other busy professional women like us, other than reading your book, which we recommend, <laughs> um, what would it be? Well, look, I think it would be the one I shared a little earlier from my greatest mentor, which is data is king. 
I love that idea. I've written that down. Always lead with the data and data is indisputable. You know, you get the facts, find out exactly what's happening. If you're wanting to, you know, start a new business, go and do the research, go out and make sure that you've got the data. If you're from a home perspective or, you know, from a professional perspective in any sort of formal capacity of your life, before you make a decision, it always helps to have the data. Now you can buy Kate's books and find out more about her speaking and consulting work at timestylers.com. And Kate, you also have a five-day challenge that people can go and sign up to on your website. Can you just tell us quickly about that? Yeah, sure. So just go to the website, timestylers.com, and uh, there'll be a little pop-up. You just fill in your name and email address. And then over a five-day period, you'll get five emails. And basically the rules of the game are just do exactly what those emails tell you to do (laughs) and you will get time back. Yeah. Who wouldn't want that? Thank you so much for joining us. I got so much out of your interview and your book, and I look forward to our listeners getting the same value. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. That's all from us. If you want to continue the conversation with us, come and join us on Facebook at The Juggle Community, and you can find the link for that at our website, which is thejuggle.com.au. And if you want to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe in your podcast player of choice. See you next time. Happy juggling.